0: Kia ora and welcome to Te Herenga Waka Victoria University of Wellington the podcast. This podcast was produced as part of the Stout Research Centre for New Zealand Studies occasional series. The Centre was established at Te Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, to facilitate innovative, exemplary and interdisciplinary research into all aspects of New Zealand history, society and culture. This series aspires to showcase that commitment through sharing insights from people undertaking novel research or with unique perspectives. This session is a talk given by James Palmer, who spoke as part of a series organised by the Centre in 2023 on the state of freshwater in New Zealand. An experienced regulatory lawyer, James was appointed the Chief Executive of the Ministry of the Environment in March 2023. Drawing upon his experience in central and regional government, he offers his perspectives on some of the complexities and challenges facing the country in managing freshwater resources.
1: What I wanted to bring to this conversation and and what I think is possibly of greater interest uh, to you and to value to uh, to a discussion and one which is more about contemplation for the future, is to talk about what's not presently uh, addressed or presently in our um, our bag of tools, if you like. So we are at a point in time where we are about to embark on significant uh, reform of freshwater management in uh, Aotearoa New Zealand. And in, in the minds of many particularly those who have worked very hard over the last decade or so to lay down the policy and legislative foundation for that reform, Uh, a huge amount of the the work has been done. And my message for you today is that we're just about to get started because we've been assembling some of the basic tools that you need to manage fresh water much better, but we haven't yet started really applying those tools. And the work of developing freshwater plans around the country and then uh, implementing those plans uh, is really only just beginning. So there is uh, a huge amount of work happening in each and every region of our nation right now, uh, working towards a deadline of the 31st of December uh, next year, in which every regional and unitary council in New Zealand must produce a freshwater plan as part of the Regional Resource Management Plan, uh, which is required under the Resource Management Act, in which there will be uh, mandatory uh, limits on water quality and quantity uh, for every freshwater body uh, in that region, and uh, a range of policies and measures that will uh, seek to ensure that both those limits are upheld and where there has been uh, significant degradation, that there is a pathway to restoration. There's lots of ifs and buts to all of that. um, uh, And there's a very complex regulatory scheme uh, inside the National Policy Statement on freshwater management that drives all of this activity. And uh, in particular, the National Objectives Framework that lays out each of the uh, attributes of freshwater condition that must be uh, accounted for and worked toward. Uh, it is an incredibly complex uh, regulatory intervention because fresh water is itself incredibly complex. And it's that complexity that I wanted to talk about today because that is what bedevils our implementation of something that should be reasonably straightforward. It would be stating the obvious to say that fresh water is foundational to our well-being; It's uh, the basis of life. It's foundational to our economy and therefore the stewardship of fresh water in a way that ensures that uh, it is kept healthy and uh, provides a functioning basis for life and for our economy both today and the future. Uh, would be stating the obvious. And that's the sort of statement that uh, normally we frame uh, policy with, so we all understand what we're trying to achieve. But I would uh, certainly, uh, for, for this uh, learned audience, suggest that that is a, a statement of the obvious. So to drill down into uh, the questions of the less obvious, I think, first of all, if we think about that in terms of the physical uh, realities of fresh water, Um, When people conjure up fresh water, it's a degraded state, what we aspire to have as a country. We tend to think of our iconic rivers. We tend to think of lakes, the very visual representations of fresh water that we hold dear. The majority of fresh water on the planet uh, that's not locked up in ice uh, is below the ground. And so we have significant quantities of our fresh water resources, Uh, reside below the surface, they're out of sight and out of mind, we struggle to visualize them. And what we don't contemplate is the high level of interaction that we have with groundwater uh, in many and varied ways uh, that goes unnoticed. Uh, And the cumulative effects of uh, nitrogen, for example, uh, ending up uh, in our groundwater, which can take many decades to flow through a system and end up in a drinking water supply uh, or in the receiving environment, that, that works on uh, time horizons, which are extraordinarily hard for uh, people to visualise and even harder for us to respond to in terms of our management and our regulatory levers. Uh, so so that is, that's one of the invisibilities of, of fresh water. Another and particularly significant invisibility of fresh water uh, is the fact that where many of our uh, streams once were, we now have drains. We have drains in our urban environment uh, through cities and towns uh, and they have become conduits for uh, stormwater uh, that perceives water as a problem to be managed as opposed to a, a tonga or a treasure to be, uh, to be stewarded and cared for. We similarly in our rural environments have created straight lines everywhere for, for cropping, for, uh, for farming uh, and typically, water has been a problem in uh, rural landscapes as well to be managed through drains. And so, uh, when people visualize uh, drains, they tend not to visualize them as remnant streams or riverbeds uh, or providing uh, important uh, ecosystem function. So, to that extent, can be somewhat invisible. Perhaps the third dimension of the invisib- invisibility of fresh water, which is particularly important for uh, our country and for our future response is our wetlands. And so as a nation, uh, we were once uh, rich in wetlands uh, and all of uh, our our floodplains and uh, our landscapes that drain uh, our land, particularly our hill country, once was uh, rich in wetlands, which were rich in biodiversity and perform important functions in terms of removing uh, contaminants, particularly nutrients, but also sediments, uh, hold an awful lot of carbon and hold water in the landscape so when the rain falls, it doesn't rush down uh, onto the flats and into our towns and cities uh, as it now does. And so we have removed that critical piece of uh, natural infrastructure that plays such an important role in purifying uh, our water, Uh, and managing the pace at which water travels uh, over our our landscapes and exacerbating that uh, challenge by not only removing the wetlands, but replacing them with concrete and housing, accelerating the pace at which water that comes from the sky uh, lands and must be removed from our urban environments, which is an increasing challenge for uh, our flood control and our stormwater uh, management assets in the context of a changing climate, is... um, is, is a major challenge that we have. So when we think about the challenge of fresh water, the way we think about it uh, and visualize the very asset of uh, fresh water often is incredibly partial. And so uh, as we think about the job that lies ahead for implementation, the risk is that we uh, don't understand the magnitude of the challenge or the complexity of that uh, in a biophysical sense. That uh, complexity and indeed that um, challenge is not only a physical one, it's also uh, an economic one. So uh, clearly we've built economic structures, land use, industry uh, off the use of fresh water in ways which have depleted groundwater resources, surface flows uh, significantly and created greater vulnerability in our, our freshwater systems to a changing climate, such as when it dries. We've built industry, uh, obviously, which is water intensive because we've had a sense of its abundance. And we have uh, enabled uh, economic activity by way of urban development that has not taken account of the impacts of modifying our hydrological system and the ability for uh, our land and our terrestrial biology to interact with fresh water in ways uh, which minimises flooding uh, and also strips out uh, contaminants, as I said. So we've built uh, an economic uh, use of our fresh water, both in its extractive sense, but also as a receiving environment to take that which we produce, which is wastage, whether it be uh, wastewater or contaminants from our towns and cities or from industry, uh, and use fresh water as a way of diluting that into uh, the environment. So dilution is a key management strategy we have used for hundreds, if not thousands of years as human beings to manage the wastes that we create. And freshwater provides an extraordinary tool in that regard, but with some consequences. Uh, And we have not been particularly good at managing the cumulative effects, the bioaccumulation of a lot of what we put into our, our freshwater environments. And we also have done so with some assumptions of linearity around Freshwater distribution, particularly our rainfall, and as we have a changing climate, we end up in a situation where we get the perfect storm, particularly through intensification of land use, of having more contaminants in less flow and water, which concentrates the contaminant load and exacerbates the environmental challenge we have. So our economic dependence on our current freshwater resources that doesn't account for the dynamism of that. Is, is kind of you know challenge number two. and there are significant uh, allocation uh, issues arising from the fact that we've had a first and first approach to uh, fresh water and those that have had first access to it have grabbed sunk capital, built industry around that that we now uh, find ourselves uh, needing to wind out on with considerable social equity questions around that distribution for which uh, iwi Maori in particular, uh, have grave concerns that I will come back to. We've also got a, a social challenge when it comes to uh, the way we perceive fresh water that we often don't uh, entirely understand or think about when we think about the freshwater challenge. And that is a, a question of who has access to freshwater resources, particularly for economic benefit, and what are the social consequences of that? What are the uh, social implications for water scarcity? And we have seen In recent years, uh, most likely as a consequence of a changing climate, some severe droughts in parts of New Zealand where we have significant deprivation. You can think about uh, the far north uh, as an example, where uh, people don't, communities don't have the infrastructure to provide for their their municipal or their community potable drinking supplies. And that is something which is accelerating by way of a challenge for New Zealand as a consequence uh, of a a changing climate. And so when we think about fresh water, there is a tendency to think about it being a a basic essential that all New Zealanders have access to. And for those of us that reside in urban environments uh, where we turn on a tap and fresh water is always there, uh, we tend to discount the, um, the social and distributional issues that do relate to the availability uh, of fresh water. But I can tell you that those issues are acute in some of our most deprived and rural and isolated communities in New Zealand. Free waters reform, which is now affordable water reform, is an area where um, there is a confluence between the work that the Ministry for the Environment is doing and regional councils are doing and councils are doing around the setting of limits and improving the management of fresh water Uh, Because a huge amount of what drives outcomes in freshwater comes from our our three waters assets that are owned predominantly by local government in, in this country, which have had a limited amount of investment in many parts. And uh, for those of you that do reside here in central Wellington, don't need uh, terribly much uh, exposition on that. Uh, you do understand that there has been um, a pervasive underinvestment in our uh, Three Waters assets, which is giving rise to uh, environmental consequences as well as social and economic ones as well. So uh, when we again think about the challenge of fresh water, Uh, I think there is a tendency when we, again, visualise those those rivers, those lakes, and we think about the despoiling of those environments to disassociate ourselves uh, with the challenge, which is actually very personal to each and every one of us, because we do all consume fresh water and we do interact with it in ways where we're often incredibly removed from the consequences of it. It's an extraordinary depersonalising environmental act that we do when we flush a lavatory or we turn on a tap and we don't have to see or have any interaction with the consequences of that. That's true of many actions that we take uh, as consumers. What's interesting about fresh water is that New Zealanders are very passionate about fresh water. They're passionate about the state of it, they're passionate about the outcomes and they desperately want to do something about it. And yet, when it comes to our very personal interactions with it, we don't often connect our own uh, personal actions with those outcomes. And it's often quite hard to see. And so uh, it's been interesting observing the debate around Three Waters reform and the extent to which concerns uh, about those reforms have overwhelmed The conversation that should have been had and the conversation which it started with, uh, which was largely in Havelock North in 2017, uh, when I had just arrived uh, back at Hawke's Bay, at the Hawke's Bay Regional Council, from actually leading uh, briefly freshwater reform at the Ministry for the Environment and to discover uh, that there had been a whole bunch of decisions taken over time, which the inquiry subsequently found were somewhat... um, Possibly, possibly even you could say scandalous in terms of the level of systemic negligence by multiple uh, agencies and actors in in caring for that freshwater water resource all the way through to uh, the community's use of it. And I particularly want to reference that because I think it's a stark example of the invisibility of uh, fresh water. Nobody knew in Havelock North where their water came from until the Brookvale uh, bores became famous. Uh, and it was really obvious going through that experience that nobody realized that they were coming from a reasonably shallow 15 meter bore that was very old and rusty uh, beside a paddock that was filled with with sheep, uh, certainly on the occasion, and a pretty sad looking drain uh, running by. And that particular location had been chosen by uh, a previous mayor who had attempted to find a cheaper option to the preferred option to get water to the borough of Havelock. And I remember standing in Brookvale Road beside those boars and looking down at these rusty casings and this terribly decrepit uh, boar and looking back at Havelock North uh, and the tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars worth of palatial property that sits on the the hills above you that was being supplied by this rusty old boar. Uh, And what was stark was this kind of disconnect that this community had with this absolutely foundation of its well-being until something went wrong. And so I think there's a there's a bit of a recurring theme which has gone through into the subsequent debates around Three uh, Waters reform. And I'm not here to, to front the government's reforms uh, that sit wide of uh, my own responsibilities, um, except to note, uh, which is relevant to this discussion, is how quickly we've forgotten the nature of the problem we're trying to solve and how serious that is as a, as a, as a country. And that still remains the massive challenge that lies ahead because the government's reforms uh, in in three waters, uh, much the same as in freshwater reform uh, more broadly, uh, are only just beginning in terms of laying a bit of a foundation for a solution. All the hard work lies ahead, uh, which is the hundred plus billion dollar investment over the next 30 years that lies ahead and the massive upgrades that will be required, all the skill and capability issues that will pose for this country, not to mention uh, the financing ones, and um, some quite big environmental uh, trade-off conversations about whether we continue to discharge our wastewater into certain environments, uh, whether we will continue to abstract from aquifers and surface waters in the face of a change in climate of the volume that we do, and discharging liberally that water back into other environments without much uh, focus on conservation or water reuse. So uh, that does lie ahead. And that takes me back to uh, these reforms where that limit setting is going to intersect with the interests of each and every uh, New Zealander uh, in a way that virtually no one's aware of. So we have people and there are some in this room who are are deeply involved with uh, the Freshwater Management Challenge and will be engaging directly with their uh, regional council and with the planning work that lies ahead. But 99% of New Zealanders uh, will not participate in that process, but they will be directly affected by it. Uh, And again, it's this kind of this unusual, uh, is it unusual? It's probably not unusual. It's probably uh, part and parcel with the the challenge of of environmental management, which is why uh, it's so valuable for me to take opportunities such as tonight to engage uh, with, with, with broader audiences that the environmental challenges we face are being wrestled with, with, with a small set uh, subset of society, but they affect everybody. And our collective understanding of the issues uh, is typically low, and I've touched on uh, a number of those as I've gone through as to my observations about why there isn't a good level of understanding about the nature of the challenge. But what that means in a political sense is that when you have a low level of understanding about the nature of the problems, you don't have a strong constituency for the changes that need to be made or the funds that need to be invested. And I believe with fresh water that is presently so. A low level of, of public understanding of the, of the, the nature of the problems, the scale of the problems, and the time frames it's going to take to address those. Uh, New Zealand's freshwater circumstance has been getting progressively worse for uh, as long as land use has been uh, changed from its natural state here, and it has been accelerating over time, and it has, uh, based on the the data and evidence that the ministry holds, that has been getting considerably worse in recent years. There are some uh, some small glimmers of of improvement uh, showing in some places, but uh, we have more rivers and lakes going backwards than we do going forwards at the moment. So there is still an awful lot of work to do. Before I just sort of close out on the, uh, the awful uh, lot of work to do, I wanted to pose what I think is, is quite the conundrum for, uh, for New Zealand around deciding uh, what will be done and how it will be done. And that is a question of expectation. I have great aspirations for uh, this country to be literally the most sustainable country on Earth. And I think we have geographic, we have biophysical and we have cultural and historic context that should support us having an aspiration in that regard. And I think we have both uh, an economic uh, opportunity and imperative to go there. But we have an awful long way to go because of what we've embedded uh, within our economy but also the level of degradation that we have uh, inflicted upon our landscape. And uh, one of the hardest cho- harder choices that we need to make as a country is how much uh, modification of our natural systems, uh, whether it be our land, our freshwater, uh, or our biodiversity, do we conceive as being acceptable to provide for our current economic and social needs? And because uh, it probably won't be possible to define that uh, once and for all, and nor should we, we probably will find ourselves in a state of continuous improvement, accepting that where we want to be is a long way off where we are today. And the journey to get there will be long and arduous. And then the question less becomes one of destination, which we can define that New Zealanders agree with very quickly, to one of uh, pace. Uh, and who pays? And those are the the devilish questions that that lie ahead. So as every regional council uh, in the country over the next uh, 18 months and and probably beyond, because I don't think most will get to the deadline uh, in time, uh, as they form uh, views in partnership with their communities and engagement with their communities and particularly partnership with their uh, tangata whenua, they will have to resolve questions of timeframes and set targets about where they will uh, get to in, in what time frame, and those questions of who will pay. And that will come down to how much will the public subsidise changes in uh, land use, in business practice versus those who undertake those activities, uh, and how much will be invested in public infrastructure, particularly in the three waters space. Those are are big and difficult uh, questions that lie ahead, and they're not ones that are uh, frankly resolved by our current policy landscape and and prescription that is being given effect to, and it's not one that's uh, solved, unfortunately, by science. So we like to think that science will give us the answers about what we should do. It gives us uh, really important information to guide our choices But we are left as a country with some deep questions around public private benefit, who pays, and how quickly we are prepared to change our behaviour and invest as a country to get some outcomes in time. Before I finish, I do just want to make one additional point uh, around what lies ahead. Uh, And I don't mean to leave this to, to last to indicate a lack of importance. I've left it to last because it may be the most important. Um, and that is how the Treaty of Waitangi, Te tiriti, is given effect to uh, through these reforms. And while there is much discussion uh, in the nation at the moment about our constitutional foundation uh, and about uh, notions such as co-governance that impinge upon many areas of public policy, The one area that is at absolute ground zero of that question is freshwater reform. Uh, And it is there for policy reasons. Uh, We have an instrument, uh, an element of the National Policy Statement uh, that requires councils and their communities to give effect to uh, the concept of Te Mana Ōtawai, which establishes a priority for freshwater that puts the environment first, but also implies uh, and indeed requires a very high degree of partnership between our uh, democratically elected local governance structures with our mana whenua, tangata whenua, in place over the management of freshwater resources. And it's an expression of Article 2 of the Treaty of Waitangi, where the uh, rangatiratanga or chieftainship of uh, iwi Māori was guaranteed by the Crown, particularly over natural resources, And there is a reasonably strongly held view among the leadership of Mauritan that fresh water has never been sold, so it's never been ceded as part of any land exchange or land sale as part of the process of colonisation, and that water uh, was always felt to be uh, held in that uh, chieftainship or rangatiratanga. And when you contemplate the extent to which fresh water plays a foundational and fundamental role in the identity for Iwi Māori because of its direct relationship. So for Māori, the proximal freshwater body to the place of origin and of residence uh, is seen as an ancestor. And you can think about it in terms of the parallel for Western science when we think about freshwater constituting 70% of the human body Uh, We are all in a continuous process of consuming fresh water, bringing it into our organism and passing through us. And so the fresh water that that we we use to sustain us does pass through us constantly and we are constituted of it. Traditionally for Māori, the proximal water body of greatest um, cultural significance uh, was the source of uh, drinking water, the source of food and sustenance, and played a central role in traditional practice, cultural practice uh, around uh, birth, around death, and around the whole cycle of life. Uh, and when when that's understood and contemplated, the uh, essential nature of freshwater to Māori from an identity point of view, from an ability to exercise uh, cultural practice, and it's Uh, Its importance to to the mana uh, held of of a place and the relationship of that place underscores the fact that uh, for Māori, the state of freshwater and the care of freshwater is an absolutely foundational duty that gives rise to great uh, obligations of care and stewardship through the exercise of kaitiakitanga. So we find ourselves in a place uh, as a nation where fresh water sits at probably the pointiest end of how we have disconnected uh, Maori through the process of colonization and alienation of land with the most important foundation of identity, of, of spiritual connection, of traditional sustenance and well-being. And we're now at a place where we also, uh, from our Western science, understand great levels of degradation that have been uh, imposed on our freshwater bodies. And so the great challenge with freshwater reform is how we are going to restore trust and confidence by Crown and its agents through local government uh, with Iwi Māori in the management of freshwater. And that trust and confidence at this point is, is about as low as it can be which has resulted in uh, a number of treaty settlements in recent times. And you can think about the Fanganui uh, River or the Waikato River, where there are very specific arrangements. But more fundamentally than that, Ngāi Tahu presently have a High Court claim against the Crown contesting the Rangatiratanga, or the chieftainship over the freshwater resources of South Ireland uh, in their uh, takua, uh, in the area, which is about uh, development developing some jurisprudence about what uh, the Treaty of Waitangi does promise and guarantee by way of that. And the Crown and its agents and our land use legacy in terms of the degradation of freshwater in the South Island uh, is Exhibit A in the case against the Crown. And so there is an enormous way to go as we give effect to this new system to bridge the gap in terms of trust and confidence, provide for participation in a way uh, which is fair and equitable and inclusive, uh, and to address this degraded state in a way that can possibly meet the expectations arising from deep hurt and damage for Iwi Maori. And that is going to bring questions of co-governance to the fore around our uh, fresh water. Uh, it has come in part through uh, obviously the three waters reform proposals. And that poses some significant challenges for uh, New Zealand as well. So I hope I've given you a sense that uh, we have we have some real practical uh, challenges around uh, the state of our fresh water and the way we conceive of what the problem is. And it's a pretty partial view of that problem in many places. We have economic and social dimensions of our freshwater challenge, uh, which are very challenging because of what we have locked in by way of inequities and allocations, et cetera, uh, which need to be unwound, but pose big questions around public, private benefit, uh, property rights, uh, actually intergenerational and then distributional uh, challenges, and then a massive set of cultural challenges as well. What we have today uh, from government is a framework to bring all of that together uh, into a melting pot and to produce freshwater plans that will lay the policies, the rules, the mechanisms, uh, everything we need to address these challenges. But the hard stuff, which is the choices of communities and the decision makers, is now what lies ahead. And so that's the bit that uh, hopefully those of you that have the time, the inclination, and the energy. Uh, we'll now get involved in um, community uh, and regional scale. Uh, and if there's anything that you've taken from this that is useful, I just encourage you to impart it uh, to others as we build a national conversation about the full dimensions of this challenge, not very simplistic notions of this being all about intensive dairy farming in one uh, catchment uh, or something like that, or a wastewater discharge. This is a multi-dimensional problem that goes into every corner of society because fresh water by its very nature
0: does precisely that. This podcast was produced as part of the Stout Research Centre for New Zealand Studies occasional series. For further details on the Stout Centre and its work, please visit our website.